Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Please stand by. We're about to begin. Good day and welcome to the Neo Performance Materials, Inc. 3Q 2021 Earnings Announcement Conference Call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Ali Madavi. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning to review Neo Performance Materials Q3 2021 financial results. On today's call, I am joined by CEO Constantine Karianopoulos, who will provide opening remarks, and Raheem Suleiman, NEO's Chief Financial Officer, who will give a short overview of the company's third quarter results, which were published on November 8th. Please note that some of the information you will hear during today's presentation and discussion will consist of forward-looking statements, including, without limitation, those regarding revenue, EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, product volumes, product pricing, other income and expense measures, cash returns, and future business outlook, including potential expansion plans. Actual results or trends could differ materially from those discussed today. For more information, please refer to the risk factors discussed in NEO's most recent financial filings, which were filed on CDAR earlier this month and are also available on our website. NEO assumes no obligation to update any forward-looking statements or information which speak as of their respective dates. Financial amounts presented today will be in U.S. dollars. Non-IFRS financial measures will be used during the conference call. Further information regarding NEO's use of non-IFRS measures is available in NEO's Q3 2021 earnings press release which is available on CDAR and on our website at neomaterials.com. Let me now turn the call over to Constantine. Thanks, Ali, and good morning, everyone. We're hosting today's call slightly outside of the typical pattern uh, due to the completion of NEO's recent $100 million uh, bought deal, uh, which we announced its closing uh, two weeks ago. Our third quarter financial and operating results were filed and published in early November, as Ali noted. Um, in summary, we reported uh, $119.8 million of revenue and adjusted net income of $9.8 million. We reported adjusted EBITDA of $17.7 million. And over the past 12-month 12, 12 period, our cumulative sales revenue is just shy of $500 million. This is an encouraging milestone, particularly while some supply chain disruptions continue across the manufacturing sector. Raheem will provide a bit more color on our third quarter results. From my perspective, I would note that current operating trends are in line with our expectations in what remains a strong market environment, despite the headwind, the headwind continuing to face both the automotive industry um, the semiconductor sector, and general supply chain issues globally. 
In short, we continue to experience strong demand for NEO's rare earth and magnetic-based materials, and we're doing everything we can to maintain the reliable shipment of products to our key customers around the world. As we come to the close of 2021, it's a natural time to reflect on the past year and envision NEO's future. The strength of our business is a direct result of years of investment in producing high-quality, highly engineered specialty materials that meet the demanding needs of our very sophisticated customers. We have developed new technologies and products, and we strive to provide excellent customer service to deliver upon those. We have been around for a few decades now, and as we assemble the rare earth and advanced materials company for the next few decades, we're keeping those values at the forefront of all of our strategic initiatives. Over the past year, we've been diligently working to advance four core business goals. First, protect, strengthen, and grow our core business. Second, expand through innovation into next generation of technologies and products. Third, expand and diversify our geographic footprint in order to capture growing demand for specialty rare earth products in Europe and globally. And fourth, improve our global sustainability leadership. These are the four core pillars of our growth strategy. Given a current macro environment that strongly favors the adoption and acceleration of sustainable technologies, NEO is certainly working from a position of strength, as many of the products we make are essential to the functioning of a wide range of green tech. A key example of this growth strategy is the revitalization uh, within our rare metals business unit. Following multiple years of mid-single-digit EBITDA margins, our team underwent an extensive and systematic approach to improving that business, that business unit's economic model. And through those efforts, we have been able to secure reliable sources of additional raw material feedstock. We launched several engineering projects to improve our operations efficiency. And we have identified several new paths to commercialize new products and access new markets as the recovery in the aerospace market, our main market for the business unit, continues. I've been pleased with the results so far. Rare Metals recently improved its EBITDA margins to double-digit levels, and we're setting a path forward for capacity expansion and allocating more of our capacity to value-added technologies. I want to express my gratitude for the hard work, dedication, and commitment from our team members around the world uh, in that business, as well as all the business units who are driving these initiatives forward. Similarly, we've been executing along upon operational excellence initiatives within both our MagnaQuench and chemicals and oxides units. Within MagnaQuench, we have expanded our operating capacity for bonded magnetic powders, and we have been growing our capacity to manufacture compression molded magnets. Within chemicals and oxides, we're working to diversify our raw material feedstock for all of our plants, but with particular focus on our operations in Europe. For example, during the quarter, we started the pro to process that new raw material supplied by energy fuels, which originates in the United States as a byproduct of other mining operations. 
as we target expanded capacity and operating rates. Later in the quarter, we started receiving shipments at one of our plants in China from a new heavy rare earth mining operation in Vietnam. We expect more shipments in the new year. Across all of our business units, we're proud of the strong health and safety culture that has been established over the years at our various manufacturing sites around the globe. As we look to the future, I'm cognizant of some major trends that have been accelerated as a result of the COVID pandemic and supply chain trends. Our customers have been clamoring for localized supply chains and sustainably produced materials that meet the world's leading environmental, social, and governance standards. We're carefully listening and incorporating feedback from our shareholders in terms of ESG initiatives. We're also hearing directly from more and more customers who are hungry for verification and validation of a transparent upstream of their transparent upstream supply partners. As we think through innovation and long-term business planning, ESG will be at the center of everything NEO does. For example, earlier this year, we became a participant in the United Nations Global Compact, the world's largest corporate sustainability initiative, and we committed to implementing the Global Compact's 10 principles on human rights, labor, environment, and anti-corruption. We also recently joined the Responsible Minerals Initiative, which serves as an umbrella organization designed to support responsible mineral sourcing. We've always served a trust, as a trusted, reliable partner for our customers around the world. We serve our customers through a geographically diverse production footprint. We not only want to meet our customers where they are in terms of their ESG practices, but also lead our supply chains to where we all need to be. This approach, has led to several significant advantages by means of NEO's critical infrastructure. As the world's only rare earth company that operates parallel supply chains both inside and outside of China, we are uniquely situated to understand the pressures and rapidly changing dynamics of upstream advanced material supply chains. The twin crises of global supply chain bottlenecks and constrained semiconductor supply have spotlighted the risks of centralized logistics channels. This has accelerated the needs of many of our direct customers in the automotive and electronic spaces and their OEM counterparts to source locally, to rely less on ocean freight, and to prioritize responsibly sourced materials that incorporate circular end-of-life strategies. NEO has already integrated material recycling in several areas of our production operations, including our rare earth magnetic materials. Many of our top strategic plans for growth involve expanding our nameplate capacity in Europe to serve increasing demand in the region. By nearly all measures, global vehicle electrification is going to drive enormous increases in demand for permanent rare earth magnets. Not only would magnet customers need additional supply, but they will also require greater geographic diversity of supply in order to minimize supply chain risk. This is what we're hearing very directly, in fact, loud and clear, from our OEM and Tier 1 customers, especially across Europe. They've told us in no uncertain terms that they want to see NEO expand their operations in Europe into the production of rare earth metals, alloys, and permanent magnets. 
fortunately, we're extraordinarily well positioned to, to respond to this increasing demand. In Stilame, Estonia, we run the only commercially operating rare earth separations facility of its kind within the European Union. The strategic importance of having existing infrastructure, including a large operations base located on the Baltic Sea and a highly skilled labor force, is crucial to accelerating a large-scale project such as expanding into alloy and magnetics manufacturing within Europe. Moreover, our rare earth separations facility in Estonia has in the past produced rare, metals, rare earth metals, and it is producing tantalum and niobium metals. That, that capability could be rapidly restarted. Additionally, we make rare earth metals through two joint ventures, one in China and one in Thailand. And we produce rare earth iron boron alloys in China and Thailand. So while our MagnaQuench division is a global leader in the production of bonded and hot deformed rare earth magnets, and magnetic materials, expanding our operations to produce centered rare earth magnets is not a big leap for NEO. The alloy jet casting process that we have invented and perfected at MagnaQuench is actually a very similar but much more severe and demanding process than the strip casting process used in the production of centered magnet alloys. We have a large number of people in NEO who are highly skilled in making centered magnets and we're exploring partnerships with potential state-of-the-art partners who already produce sophisticated centered rare earth magnets for the EV space globally. For us, the centered magnet space is a, is a relatively low risk with a strong market demand that appears evident at this point and with the emerging government support. It also presents us with a global market that is an order of magnitude larger than the current addressable market for MagnaQuench with all the opportunities that, that, that this brings to the table. As we're working our way around managing the technical risk of such a project, we're staying very focused on also minimizing market and financial risks. We expect to turn the expression of strong interest by European customers and their customers into contracts once our sampling and qualification process gets underway in the new year, which will help minimize the market risk. Similarly, our expectation one that is shared by OEMs and Tier 1 suppliers at this point, is that the European Union and the Estonian government will help NEO and the supply chain with shared funding to address the financial risk of such a project. Both elements are absolutely vital to any decision by NEO to allocate the capital required in this effort. They're also vital to the long-term commercial success of any such venture. That's why I'm especially thankful for the assistance and vision of key stakeholders, including the Estonian government and its Ministry of Economic Affairs, for their commitment to securing financial and other assistance to our project at all levels within their control. Gaining alignment through public stakeholders, such as the European Union, customers such as OEMs across the automotive, aerospace, and wind energy sectors, and our local teams on the ground is a critical and rewarding effort. We're very encouraged by efforts from all sides to date and look forward to continuing to move this process forward to a successful outcome. In addition to potentially expanding production of separated rare earth oxides in Europe and moving further downstream to produce rare earth metals, alloys, and sintered magnets, we're also exa examining potential long-term expansion in other regions, including North America. While the auto industry in the United States and Canada is moving toward greater vehicle electrification, 
I think it is fair to say that the North American industry will likely lag its European brethren in terms of public charging infrastructure, local government commitment, and general customer adoption over the next couple of years. That said, I fully expect North American manufacturers to catch up. That will provide NEO with additional opportunities for potential expansion. While final decisions on these and other expansion plans have not been yet made by NEO, I remain optimistic that market conditions, new and expanded options on rare earth feedstock sources around the world, rare earth separation in North America, and necessary government support can come together to allow these investments to proceed in a manner that makes these projects attractive to all stakeholders. Our recent primary capital raise of $50 million Canadian is largely intended to support this type of growth and expansion. As we look at servicing all of our customers globally, we will continue to invest in our businesses to ensure a strong return on shareholders' capital. Further, we will seek to protect and grow our core business and incorporate sustainable technologies where appropriate. For example, we're in the process of revitalizing one of our primary operating facilities in China. This project will modernize its infrastructure, improve our operating efficiencies, and ensure a stable manufacturing site for next generation environmental emission catalyst technologies within the chemicals and oxides business unit. The products manufactured at this site are essential bridging technologies for hybrid vehicles as electric vehicles continue to grow through both public infrastructure and consumer support. The complex catalyst systems required on these hybrid vehicles are expected to continue to evolve through the adoption of the very tight Euro 7 regulations and related global standards and to be in place largely for the next several decades. In closing, the operating and market environments for rare earth and rare metals-based materials remains quite robust. Magnetic materials, in particular, have been reaching sustained heights this year amid growing end-use demand and short-term supply chain disruptions, including consolidation within China and the global shipping crisis. That said, the micro-trend toward the use of sustainable technologies requires a thoughtful view to responsibly source materials. We look forward at NEO to continuing our efforts to ensure high-quality materials for our customers and to deliver the key technical customer service and innovation required to develop next generation technologies. And with that, let me turn the call over to Rahim. Thank you, Constantine, and good morning, everyone. We are well into Q4 now, so we won't be going into too much detail on the Q3 results today, as those results were released about a month ago. Although we will be happy to take questions and elaborate as necessary on those results. But allow me to touch on the major highlights and to bridge some of the market trends that Constantine referred to within our short-term results. The trend this year of higher and volatile rare earth prices continued through Q3 and to date. And as we have stated in the past, although we do not rely on commodity price movements for our value-add proposition, volatility in the short term does impact our results. MagnaQuench continued to see strong volumes in the quarter, but those volumes were tempered by the semiconductor chip shortage that everyone is well aware of. We clearly see changes in some customer purchasing behaviors, and many customers have directly attributed those short-term changes to the lingering semiconductor issues. The impact extends not only to our automotive platforms, 
but also to many of our non-automotive markets. Despite these relatively soft ordering patterns, gross margins at MagnaQuench remain healthy, as MagnaQuench is benefiting from some lead lag impacts on which we will elaborate within CNO. In CNO, our environmental catalyst business also saw relatively slowing orders in automotive and again tied to the semiconductor chip shortage. The recent slowdown is broad-based across the industry without any adverse trends related to our specific customers, programs, or regions. On the other hand, the rarer separation business remains extremely strong. Of course, this business is most impacted by lead lag, but higher prices for rare earths allow for more dollar value margin in the separation business, in addition to where we have low-cost inventory on hand in the short term. The price increases are primarily seen across the magnetic elements, and as we have discussed, magnetic, element, magnetic rare earth elements are critical in a number of future-facing technologies, including energy-efficient motors, sensors, and traction motors for electric vehicles. Constantine mentioned the improvement and strength in our rare metals business. Past efforts to diversify end markets, add customers, engage in operational excellence activities are all starting to see benefits in rare metals. Of course, the growth plan won't be linear, and price movements and lead lag will also impact short-term results. But we are seeing recovery in market demand, expansion in the end markets where we participate, and improved and, systema and systematic improvements in our operating performance in this business unit. Our cash balances remain healthy, and our ability to generate cash remains consistently strong, even before the recent Treasury offering that is supplementing our cash balances and targeted at future growth initiatives. Notably, our inventory balances and working capital balances are up considerably in the quarter and in the year, and this is primarily attributed to the higher rare earth prices. We are very pleased with the financial performance of the company and the path of continued growth that we see ahead. In the nine months ended September 30th, 2021, we generated $62.3 million of adjusted EBITDA. Of course, comparison to the prior year of $16.6 million doesn't seem very relevant, but even as a comparison to 2019, where we earned $41.3 million in adjusted EBITDA, we have grown adjusted EBITDA about 50% across all three business units. And now we will open it up for questions. Thank you. To signal for a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. Also, if you are using a speakerphone, please make sure that your mute button is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Once again, it is star one at this time for questions, and we'll pause to give everyone the opportunity to signal. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We'll take our first question from Yuri Link with Canaccord Genuity. Hey, good morning, everyone. Morning, Yuri. <clears throat> Morning. Um, Constantine, on the, um, as you contemplate the, the new manufacturing uh, capacity in, 
in Europe or Estonia. Um, what kind of timeline are, are we, we looking at and what should we be thinking of in terms of uh, potential capital outlay? Yeah, um, thanks, Yuri. Uh, the, as we expressed in, um, in a joint press release with the Estonian government, and as I mentioned in my comments, we're, we're, we're trying to sort of minimize and manage market risk, financial risk. Uh, and the fact of life remains that uh, this industry is dominated by very large um, Chinese producers of magnets uh, into Europe and, and into North America as well. Um, so in order for any new investment to, uh, to make sense and provide a, an acceptable level of return um, to whatever private capital um, is, is, is invested, um, they will, I mean, it's inevitable to conclude that there will need to be government assistance. Um, similar to, as I mentioned in previous calls before, if you, if you look at what the European Union did around batteries, uh, for EVs, um, there's been a massive level of government uh, assistance to every single battery producer that um, is building gigafactories in, in Europe and primarily in Germany. So um, the, we feel that the, based on the current programs that we have been discussing with the government of Estonia and the EU uh, and the uh, expectations of the Estonian government for the timing of the process, to, to reach its natural conclusion, we would expect to, 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 to be seeing some de meaningful developments in the first half of next year. So again, at least that's my expectation. Now, if things change, we might have to, to push that forward or back. But I would expect that by sometime in the first half of next year, uh, we will have some um, specific and committed uh, expression of support uh, by um, Estonia and the EU. Uh, at, at which point we will uh, make an investment decision to, uh, to 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 commit to that project. So first half of the year is when I realistically expect it. It might slip a quarter. You know, we're not in control of uh, of government processes, but I think realistically that's sort of the time frame. Um, and then you know, I would, as I mentioned in my comments, also I would expect. North America to, to follow suit uh, over the next year or so. So, uh, but I have no. I mean, we, we're not really in any meaningful conversations uh, with uh, with Canadian or U.S. governments uh, at this stage. But I do expect that um, as um, as the demand grows stronger in North America, we will probably be engaging in, in specific discussions about doing something similar in North America. Um, perhaps a you know, another two, three quarters uh, later. I don't know if that answers your question, Yuri, but yep. again, I, I would expect something in the first half of the year, uh, optimistically or cautiously optimistically, but definitely within um, 2022, we should be making uh, a funding or an investment decision uh, about Estonia. Okay. And the, the move into there's a potential move into centered. Is, is that necessary to to further penetrate the the EV traction motor market beyond where your uh, current bonded formulation can take you? 
Um, yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that's the main driver of demand in the rare earth industry. It's EV traction motors, where you go from, you know, for, the, for a small electric motor, you, you, you're looking at something in the order to, in the order of a kilogram to kilogram and a half of neodymium or boron, um, running about a third or 30% rare, rare earth metal. Um, to uh, something in the order of um, two to three, perhaps more, kilograms of magnets for the larger models that have multiple motors in their drivetrain. Um, clearly, um, all the analysis that we have done internally and all the analysis that we've seen from credible analysts uh, suggest that uh, they, they will be a, a, an excess of demand uh, oversupply for both rare earth elements, but also in the jurisdictions where these materials and, and, and devices are needed, there'll be a shortage in manufacturing capacity. So, uh, with the help of our customers, as I said, you know, we, we expect that the, the market risk will, will be minimal. Um, but clearly, the, the, our, our product offering currently addresses smaller motors um, in the automotive sector. Um, the biggest one might be uh, an electronic, an electric power uh, steering motor, uh, which would have a magnet in the order of 40, 50 grams. But you know these uh, these electric traction motors would have four, five, six magnets totaling um, about a kilogram each, as I mentioned. So this is clearly um, a, a, a technologically advanced, but also a, the, the fastest growing market for magnetic uh, applications in the industry. So naturally, we're gravitating towards that. Given our experience in um, serving the needs of our automotive customers, where you know half of our revenue comes from automotive, and it's the same people that, that buy magnet quench magnets and magnetic materials that also uh, are the big drivetrain producers, I think it's a, it's a very good uh, fit for, for magnet quench. I'll turn it over. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jerry. And once again, it is star one for questions. Moving on, we'll go to David Ocampo with Cormark Securities. Uh, thanks. Good morning, everyone. Morning, David. Constantine, you, you, you touched a lot on you know potential developments, and you guys do have quite a bit of cash on your balance sheet today, especially if you include their most recent offering. How should we be thinking about leverage going forward, and, and how much capital does that give you to deploy? Um, and de and just kind of building on that, do you guys have sort of an IRR threshold on on any new potential investments? Well, we're we're always looking at a number of initiatives, David. Um, and leverage is not a bad thing, but given the our footprint and nature of operations, it's perhaps a bit more challenging for a company like Neo. Uh, however, as we see the footprint transition into more EBITDA and cash flow generation from Europe and perhaps eventually North America, that, that will, we expect that will shift. Rahim and, and his team are, are uh, working very hard trying to, to get some uh, working capital type uh, loan facilities in place. Um, when, you know, for phase one of our European facility, I think we have all the cash that we need. Uh, however, um, there will be opportunities uh, to explore low interest loans 
uh, and such, in which case we will, we will take a look at that. But for now, I think we're, we're okay to fund all of our capital needs, but I'll ask Raheem to also um, talk a little bit about um, all of our other um, uh, leverage efforts and, and, and raising debt around the world. Sure. Thanks, Nassim. Hey, David. Uh, look, I, I think that we, we are targeting a, a desirable amount of financial flexibility in each of the regions, and we will get debt instruments in various regions to support that level of, of financial flexibility. I think this offering and kind of the strategy with the cash that we have gives us flexibility to do a number of different things simultaneously, because I think there are a number of different things, you know, on the board and available to us. Uh, but we also needed kind of the strength and uh, the demonstration to to the governments that we're working with that we have the financial wherewithal to make significant investments. So it all kind of ties together in an overall strategy. But I do think that, I, I guess, just to summarize, there is debt capacity that is available. We are comfortable getting a certain level of debt. We are not loading up by any means, uh, but we are also managing the number of different opportunities that we see ahead of us. And we talk about David, yeah, Sally, just one point on that. From a balance sheet strategy perspective, and to complement what uh, what Raheem just said, as you look forward, the evolution of the balance sheet, what what I would qualify uh, in a perfect world as we execute the strategy in Europe and EBITDA growth happening uh, in in Europe and North America over time, then the leverage can be can be put in place based on that EBITDA growth in those geographies, which. If you look at it, ultimately, it's going to be a, uh, you call it eliminating the, the lazy balance sheet scenario for obvious reasons. Um, and as Raheem pointed out, we're, you know, as a, as a team, as a company, we're conservative. So you're not going to see aggressive leverage, but there's going to be healthy leverage, which is going to adequately then satisfy whatever we need going into the future. Yeah, that's, that's great color. And then, Constantine, you, you talked a little bit about how the centered magnet base is is dominated by large Chinese players, and and presumably you guys do some business with them through your your chemicals and oxide business. Have you heard any pushback from from those customers with you guys going further downstream? Um, no, the short answer is no. Uh, besides, uh, it's um, I, I, you know in all of our discussions, which unfortunately we can't have those face to face these days with Chinese uh, partners, regulators, and so on. Um, my take on how China works perhaps is slightly different than the current narrative, but you know, this is a big market. There's a vast demand, and you know, I recently spoke in October, actually, at the annual Rare Earth Conference in London, and the main theme, you know, plagiarizing um, a presentation by uh, a friend um, during uh, during the summer, I, I, I used his shamelessly used his his expression from uh, Jaws, the movie Jaws, that um, when uh, Sheriff Brody saw the shark, his first reaction is was rather, we need a bigger boat. So the, the the supply chains around EVs need a lot of really really big boats. Uh, and you know when you look at all the all, all the material, the critical materials that are going to batteries and drivetrains, the world does not produce enough of those. So the the demand um, profile for rare earths, lithium, cobalt, nickel, you name it, is such that uh, even if a fraction of this materializes, um, they will need to be a massive expansion in both um, resource extraction but also manufacturing capacity globally. 
and 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 the big Chinese magnet producers all are trying to to capture uh, this opportunity, but they all realize that um, the pie is going to be so big that they will not be able to to dominate it in the way that they have been dominating up to now, and especially since the main market for these magnets has been China, because China has led the world in electrification, uh, and Europe is, has responded very quickly, and eventually I think North America will catch up. So I really do not see any inherent conflict with um, our customers, partners, and, and, and regulators in, in China. Sounds helpful, color. And one last one for me here, it's probably for Raheem. Uh, we've been trying to draw a line in the sand on, on kind of that dollar contribution per, per ton for the last two quarters, and, and rare earth pricing has gone up again. But if I think longer term or, or medium term, is, is, you know, the third quarter run rate on that dollar contribution spread a good good ballpark that we should be using as kind of your, our normalized rate? Yeah, look, it's it's difficult for us to quantify exactly. Um, first of all, you'd, we'd split that up into MagnaQuench, CNO, and the Auto Catalyst and, and Rare Metals because all of them would have different types of contributions and there's different mixes of products that are in there. I think these margin levels are still pretty healthy, um, you know, on a, on a volume basis, but I think our volume, the, the offset of that, I think our volume is lower than where we would expect it to be just because of the other industries, shipping and global supply chain issues. So I think that the dollar values are 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 on the higher end. Having said that, as I mentioned in my comments, higher rare earth prices will lead to higher dollar value markets. So it depends on the position you take there on, on what you think of the future of rare earth prices. Right. Okay, that's it for me. Thank, thanks for uh, taking my questions. Thanks, David. And thanks. We'll go to Mark Neville with Scotia Bank. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, hey, Mark. Ma morning. Uh, maybe this first question on and the what you're sort of considering in Estonia and, and Europe, um, would you are you willing to sort of put any dollar figures around sort of what the ask is or what you're sort of seeking in terms of funding? Um, yeah, it's not quite like that, uh, Mark. Um, you know, in the conversations sure. with the uh, with the Estonian government, they have a number of programs under their own direct jurisdiction. Uh, of you know EU, EU funds, so they have expressed their willingness to support us within those programs. Um, I think out of a total investment proposition for a phase one metal alloy and magnet facility, uh, phase one meaning something in the ballpark uh, of a thousand tons a year of, uh, of magnets. Uh, production uh, that would be in the you know round numbers without being too specific in the 30 to 50 million dollars of capex um, and I would expect that those programs within the government of Estonians uh, purview could add up to perhaps half of that um, that given the feedback that we're getting from tier one and OEM customers on potential pricing premium, uh, premium uh, available, um, I think would lead us to conclude that we can um, extract and achieve a an acceptable rate of return. 
uh, on whatever capital we uh, we invest. So that's sort of uh, ballparkish uh, the numbers that we're looking at. But again, this is phase one, and uh, eventually this will be a drop in the bucket for in terms of Europe's needs, uh, which we would expect to to continue to expand, um, and uh, we would. Hopefully, once we, we get this going, we will quickly start looking at a phase two to add capacity in the order of another four to five times what, what phase one would be. Um, so again, we're, we're taking a very method, methodical approach, careful, and you know we're, we're not betting the farm on this, but it's definitely a very exciting opportunity, and we're trying to, to figure out the most rational and um, safe way to, to capitalize on this. Sorry, that was just to be just to clarify is US dollars costing you or euro? Or? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, US dollars. USD. Okay. Um and the supports that you're seeking seek, seeking, um, is it primarily for sort of upfront capital or is there sort of additional supports um that you could get from the government? Again, just in terms of pricing, you mentioned the customer loads, right? You can get from the, the government and sort of VAT something um in addition that you're seeing here or that would be required to, to sort of move forward with this? Well, the, the, the early discussions have been on CapEx support, um, but there are some inherent um, sort of um, disadvantages that making magnets in Europe entails, and there are some structural um, subsidies and, and, and sort of support that will be necessary um, to counterbalance things like the VAT, for example, that you mentioned. But this is this is a next phase discussion. Uh, for now, we're, we're focusing on um, uh, on the capex and having the conversations with our OEMs and tier one customers uh, for a premium that would cover the you know structural disadvantages of making magnets in Europe. Sorry, so you said that conversations with is with customers, not governments? Um, well, the government's an ongoing discussion, uh, but again, right. this is, yeah, it's, it's, it's even more difficult yeah. than, you know, trying to get uh -huh. ongoing support to, to cover structural sure. disadvantages is much more difficult than uh, than upfront capital, uh, as we recently saw, again, with, the, with the, the European Battery Alliance, where massive amounts of money have been uh, invested. Um, on the other hand, um, and, and, and again, the reason why we're having this conversation in Europe is because in Europe, largely, the bus is driven by the automotive OEM. Um, it's, you know, we started getting a lot of feedback from our Tier 1 customers about what they want to do in achieving a certain level of diversification of their supply chains and localized circular manufacturing in Europe by 2025. And it all made sense once we sat across the table from some of the larger OEMs in Europe, and they said, yeah, this is what, this is, you know, we read the riot act to all of our tier ones, and we expect that by 2025, 50% of their supply chains need to be localized with, uh, and diversified. So, you know, there isn't a lot of time, and, and, and the fact that this discussion and this um, bus is being driven by the OEMs is extremely helpful because then you have a chance to sit in front of the OEMs and say, okay, this is what it means. If this is what you need, 
this is what it's going to take, uh, both in terms of capital and uh, and operating. And, and you should be uh, expecting to pay a premium of, of this level. Um, and this is a discussion that, frankly, went a lot better than I expected because, you know, if I had this discussion three years ago with any of the OEMs, they would have, you know, kicked me out of the room. Uh, but, you know, it, this is clearly a very different attitude because this is such, of such strategic importance to, uh, to the European OEMs. And I do expect that um, over the next uh, little while, this will be the realization in North America as well. Okay. I mean, I'm tough on the answer, but does it sort of, sort of the global sort of supply chain bottlenecks, you know, perhaps makes the conversation easier today, but is that sort of maybe a risk that, you know, whenever, whenever this, whenever, if you move forward and you build it out, um, you know, the global supply chains are sort of a little more fluid and maybe there's not sort of a, a strong dependency on localized supply chains? Well, uh, you know, one of the fundamental weakness in, weaknesses in Europe is that there is no local source of raw material supply. Um, there's a few projects going on. There's a there's a tailing there's a couple of tailings projects in Scandinavia. Um, there's um, Greenland, which looks less likely uh, after the last um, political developments there. Uh, but you know, the world has a lot of rare earths. Um, I mean, we're working with folks in Australia working with folks in South America. So uh, absent any continuing logistical uh, challenges, and I, I do hope that the world will learn its lesson and solve these logistic problems uh, in the not too distant future, I think the rest becomes, do you have enough of an infrastructure, a manufacturing infrastructure and a skill set uh, in Europe to do what needs to be done in Europe and what the OEMs expect? So no, I don't think it's uh, it's terribly risky. Um, again, my the, the primary risk I consider the market risk and the financial risk, and and we're addressing both of those. Right. Uh, I know I've asked too many questions, but one last one: If you did go ahead with a phase one project, how long would something like that take to build? Um, I would expect to you know uh, if let's say first half of the year we we pull the trigger, we start engineering. Uh, I mean, we, we've done a lot of the preliminary uh, design already. Uh, engineering, design, construct, it, it could start next year. Uh, we would be ready to start sending pre-production samples in 2023 and be in position to start uh, manufacturing by late 2024. Um, in, you, know, you see, this, this is driven by that 2025 target that, uh, the OEMs and the tier ones are giving us, so I think we can we can get there. Uh, but you know, 2024 is probably when uh, we could start seeing some degree of meaningful um, output and um, and contribution by this activity. All right. Thanks a lot for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. And next, we'll go to Frederick Bastian with Raymond James. Hello, good morning. Morning, Frederick. Uh, question, just one question for you. Are EV traction motors today exclusively made out of uh, sintered magnets or is the technology competing with others? Uh, no, um, the simple answer again is no. Um, they're the two fundamental designs 
are induction motors um, where the magnetic field gets created by power by electricity. Uh, and there's different versions. There's sort of switch reluctance, but these are fundamentally non-magnet designs. Uh, however, the, the big advantage of using permanent magnet, rare earth permanent magnet, is that uh, these designs tend to be significantly more energy efficient than the um, induction motors. Uh, as Tesla found out, um, if you recall, Tesla started life using only induction motors because they did not want to depend on rare earth magnets. Uh, they, from what I read, um, they've gone pretty well to rare earth uh, permanent magnet motors across the board, uh, simply because they can achieve um, a ballpark of, say, 10, 15, in some cases, as much as 20% better energy efficiency out of these motors. What this means is that if you have, for a certain given range for your EV, you, you can use a permanent magnet traction motor and use a 10, 15, 20% smaller battery. Or for a given battery, you can add another 10, 15, 20% to the range of the car. Both very desirable outcomes, especially given the fact that the battery is still the most expensive component uh, in the EV. Um, so the in terms of what we do, um, you know, I've talked in the past about the work that we're doing with Dido Electronics in Japan, the, a very large magnet producer and one of our biggest customers, uh, and uh, Honda, uh, Honda Motors, where uh, Dido, may, we make a, a very unique magnetic material that can achieve um, performance levels uh, designed and specified by Honda and by Dido without using heavy rare earths. Uh, Dido uses a unique process to make the magnet. Uh, again, to, to you know, to to belabor the point and uh, and cloud it even further, we we make these um, MQA powders, and Dido makes these MQU magnets, uh, and Honda makes the the traction motors. This is the, um, I, as far as I know, this is the only traction motor technology that does not use sintered magnets, but it uses magnets that perform like centered, but made in a, in a different way by, uh, by Dido. And, that, but, and, and the performance of that magnet, according to what Honda tells us, is they consider it the, the most uh, energy efficient traction motor um, out there. Okay, that's great. But that advantage that you're seeing in the manufacture of your bonded magnet, as you kind of move and expand into centered magnets, do you believe that you can bring that that additional value where you could possibly uh, manufacture magnets, centered magnets that have, uh, you know, a, a lesser of a content, lesser uh, rare earth materials, but still produce the same kind of results? Or is that harder to achieve? Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I mean, the, this this would not be our immediate objective. I think we will start with centered magnets um, that the supply chains are used to, um, you know, essentially the same the same designs. And then as the world unfolds, uh, clearly that would be one area of 
R&D um, to continue to optimize um, the level of rare earth used or, you know, the, the cost um, the, the, to performance ratio, uh, as well as continue. I mean, we, we've been pretty adept at developing magnetic materials that can perform at high levels without heavy rare earths. That's clearly a direction that we would like to pursue. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we want to make sure that we're focusing on, on the highest possible priorities and optimization will probably take a bit more time uh, once we, we get going. Understood. Okay, that's super helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Frederick. Moving on, we'll go to Ian Gillis with Stiefel. Morning, everyone. Morning. With respect to sintered magnets is, and Neo's value-add proposition, is there anything that we should be thinking about, whether it be from a revenue per ton perspective or um, operating margin perspective with respect to the, that product relative to your existing product? Yeah, um, <laughs> the the obvious answer there would be that, you know, center magnets, it, they're a lot more involved to produce. Uh, the yields are lower than bonded magnets. Bonded magnets that we make and our customers make are net shape magnets, so there's you know very high yields. But with centered, uh, depending on the size and shape of the centered magnet, you get uh, much lower yields, and that is reflected in the price. So where you know ballpark speaking, strictly. Um, um, you know, a, a bonded magnet would cost something in the order of 50 bucks a kilo. Um, and keep in mind that bonded magnets contain less rare earth because of the bonding agents that dilute the, the magnetic material. Um, the centered magnet, the, the state-of-the-art centered magnets are closer to $100 a kilogram. Um, much higher performance, but also much more costly to, to produce. So, you know, round numbers, a thousand tons a year of EV type magnets would be generating, you know, something in the order of $50 million of top line. Okay, that, that's um, very helpful detail. Um, the, the other question I wanted to follow up on was the revitalization of the facility in China. Um, as you do that, do you expect there will be any increase in capacity or throughput from that geography as, as a result of the work you're doing there? Um, you know, if, if we're not planning at a, on a massive expansion, but I do expect better efficiencies and there will be incremental gains. Um, and, you know, all everything we we read and, and we're told uh, China is jumping on the euro seven, uh, very, very tough emission control uh, environment uh, very aggressively. So, yeah, um, I do expect that, um, you know, we, we're seeing a, a very um, strong demand for these products over the next 10 years. So, I mean, if, if we felt that the uh, internal combustion engine uh, was going to die in the next two, three years, we wouldn't be doing this. But we do see a very good runway for growth and, um, 
uh, and margin generation here. So, um, I again, just back to your specific question, though, uh, I don't really see uh, a massive expansion in capacity. There will be some incremental gains here and there, but um, I think it will be more of, um, you know, a capacity along what we have now, perhaps with the uh, with a with a marginal increase in you know ten twenty percent kind of thing, but not doubling it. Um, and of course, the continuing demand uh, that we see for these products mean that would have um, a pretty attractive uh, payback on on whatever investment we make here. Understood. Um, that that's very very helpful. I'll turn the call back over now. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. And there are no further questions. I'd like to turn it back to our presenters for any additional or closing comments. Thank you again for joining us today. Uh, we look forward to reporting back to you on our year-end results. Um, that concludes today's call. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, and once again, that does conclude today's conference. We'd like to thank everyone for their participation. You may now disconnect. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.